briefly. Oh, here we go. Hi, uh, welcome to welcome to church, everyone. My name is Dom. If I haven't met you, I'm uh, one of the pastors. You're particularly warm welcome if you're checking out church. If you're here for the first time, it's great to see newcomers. It's great to see people who are thinking about Christianity or giving it, give, trying to ask questions and just check church out. I think it's really fantastic whenever we have people or visitors here, and we have that pretty often. So a warm welcome uh, to you. I just want to begin by saying we face choices all the time, don't we? Every day we are faced with making choices. Now, after this service, uh, you're going to be faced with a whole bunch of choices, right? You're going to be uh, immediately kind of choosing who you want to maybe speak to. Uh, a, a bit beyond that, you're going to be deciding where you might want to eat uh, in, in Bankstown. You might be uh, uh, regretting not having an umbrella with you, um, uh, deciding what to drink. You, you might be deciding which team to cheer for tonight in the Origin, um, which uh, might be controversial to some. Uh, you might be uh, deciding how you're going to spend the rest of your evening, who you're going to spend that with. Uh, we are inundated with choices every single day. Now, I don't know if this is true, but apparently we make 35,000 decisions every day. 35,000 decisions every day. No, uh, that's both conscious and unconscious, apparently. So, uh, a subconscious, apparently. So, I don't really know how that works. But regardless, that's a huge amount. If you do the math, you divide it down per minute, we are making 24 decisions. Right now, you're probably deciding whether you should listen to this sermon or not. Right? Even the number, even if the number isn't 35,000, we know we are faced with many, many choices each day. Right? Just take, for example, buying cereal. Buying cereal. Um, where should we buy our cereal? Should we go to the major supermarket chains? Uh, should we go to the independents? Should we go to the big warehouses like Costco? Should we buy bulk? Should we buy it when it's 50% off? Should we buy branded or unbranded? Should we buy healthy or unhealthy? Should we go physically to a store or get it delivered online? Should we get a small box, a medium box, or a large box of cereal? This is just cereal. And we are faced with so many choices. I'm tired just talking about cereal. See, we are faced with choices beyond our imagination at almost every point of the day. But according to the book of Proverbs, the writer says that we are ultimately confronted with two fundamental choices. Two fundamental choices. The right choice or the wrong choice. God's choice or not God's choice. Wisdom or folly. Those are all the same choices. This is essentially the message of Proverbs chapter 1 to 9. See, the father um, is putting the choice before the son that he's addressing. Whether he will choose to live wisely or live foolishly. And that's been the theme. That's been the theme throughout the extended uh, introduction that the book of Proverbs has. It goes for uh, a full nine chapters and we're up to the last two chapters of the introduction. And the choice is put before us. As readers of the book of Proverbs, what will we choose? Will we choose wisdom or will we choose folly? Now, this is all super important because the thinking behind this decision and even the decision itself is going to impact how we then look at the rest of the book. And so let me pray. Let's commit this time to God and being in his word and pray that he speaks to us this evening. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, uh, you've given us this uh, book of Proverbs Father, that is filled with practical um, and really um, direct uh, sayings, wisdom, uh, ways that address both our thinking and our living. 
And so we thank you for this particular book of the Bible, and we thank you that we get to look at it uh, this evening, and we pray that you might speak to us through it and by it. Uh, help us to uh, do what it says. Uh, speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to begin with our first point today. Your, your outline is completely blank, so you're just going to have to follow along. The first point uh, this evening is you're invited to choose. You're invited to choose. Now, in chapter 9, we meet two characters. We meet Lady Wisdom, we meet Woman Folly. Now, Lady Wisdom, we meet in the first six verses. Woman Folly, we meet from verses 13 to the end of the chapter. Now, just, in, just thinking about Lady Wisdom for a sec, it's not the first time we've met her, if you've read the first nine chapters. Right? Back in chapter 1, we see Lady Wisdom crying out. She's raising her voice in the public square. In chapter 4, the son is told to cherish Lady Wisdom, to embrace Lady Wisdom. If you read right through the chapter, she'll pop up time and time again. But when we get to chapter 9, we are introduced to another woman, Woman Folly this time. And as readers, we're invited to choose, uh, not just between them, but, to, to, but whether we will dine with one or the other. Whether we will dine and eat with Lady Wisdom or with woman folly. See, that choice to dine with them, that's more than just a meal. It's not just a simple meal. It represents something far more. See, the first chapter of Proverbs showed us that whether we are young, whether we're old, whether they're male, whether we're female, we're all invited to hear the wisdom from the book of Proverbs, from the perspective of a son hearing the wisdom of his father. We are all the son in a way. Hearing this wisdom, and as if the father is saying to the son, to us, who will you make the most important person in your life? Who will, you, who will be integrated in the deepest of ways in your day-to-day? -day? Who will you carry and walk beside you all the days of your life? It's not a stretch to see that the father is saying to the son, to us, which of these two women will you marry? And the choice between the two um, women, Lady Wisdom and Woman Folly, much like marriage in many ways, uh, that decision between them is both difficult, uh, but it's also clear at the same time. It's both difficult as well as clear. Let me explain firstly why this choice might be difficult. Now, it's difficult because both Lady Wisdom and Woman Folly, they're described doing really, really similar things. They're similar in more ways than one. There's at least three ways that they're similar, right? They're similar because Lady Wisdom and Woman Folly, these speak to the same group of people, actually, if you noticed. See, who's Lady Wisdom speaking to in verses 4, right? Who is she speaking to? She's speaking to, if you look, the second half, to those who have no sense. To those who have no sense. Now, if you flick to the end of the chapter, who's Woman Folly speaking to in verse 16? She's also speaking to those who have no sense. In other words, Lady Wisdom and Woman Folly, they are competing. They're both competing to get the attention of the same group of people. Those who have no sense. Or in other words, to use the language of, uh, that we've seen elsewhere in the book of Proverbs, those who are simple. If you remember back to last week, the simple aren't those that are intellectually challenged. The simple are, um, are, the, are those that are naive, they're inexperienced, those who perhaps have been too open to being influenced, those that are easily swayed, those that don't have the necessary experience to decide things well. Proverbs chapter 1 tells us that this book, this collection of wisdom, 
is forgiving prudence to, yes, those who are simple, and knowledge and discretion to the young, but it's also for the wise to listen and add to their learning. It's also for the discerning to get more guidance. The book of Proverbs is for everybody, not just the simple. And so last week, Pastor Pete mentioned that, you know, the simple, it really fits well with the generation that are under 40. Uh, and that's absolutely right, and, 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 I, and I absolutely agree with that. But the older are also instructed to heed the advice from the book of Proverbs, aren't they? Right? If the book is written for everybody, then all of us need to benefit from the wisdom of the book. And therefore, all of us need to consider ourselves for a moment as those that are the simple. So one way or another, we are all meant to read Proverbs as those that are simple. Where lady and wisdom and lady and woman folly, they're competing for our attention. We need to make a decision with who we will eat with. But it's not just that similarity. Another reason uh, that um, it's difficult to choose between them, another similarity that they share is they're not just speaking to the same group of people. They're giving the exact same message as well. They're issuing the same invitation. Um, when Jody and I uh, were engaged shortly after we decided the date of the wedding day, um, we soon found out that we had two couples, mutual friends of mine, um, also decide to get married that same day. Um, and because of this, uh, you know, they were friends of ours, kind of caught in a pickle, because they'd received invitations to pretty much identical events, you know, weddings, that they had to choose. Now, really, we got to find out who our real friends are. Just kidding. Um, but we, real, we really, really felt for them, right? That's tough. That's a tough choice that has to be made. Uh, to, you know, identical invitations made by different people that they obviously care about. Some tried to go to both, uh, the ceremony at one, the reception at the other. Others tried, uh, had to decide to accept one and decline the other. For those of you, and there are some of you in this room that were in that situation, I'm terribly sorry about that. But we see both lady wisdom and woman folly, they give the exact same invitation to the simple. Right? In verse 4, in verse, 15, in verse 16, both women say... Let all who are simple come to my house. Right? They're issuing the same invitation. The last similarity, thirdly, really quickly, we find out that both Lady Wisdom and Woman Folly, they both are in similar locations. Right? Both are at the highest points of the city. Right? Verse 3 and verse 14. Both call out from that particular point. That's significant. Keep that at the back of your minds. We'll come back to it later. But just for the moment, let's pull it all together. Right? They are similar. They're speaking to the same group. They have speak the same message. They're speaking from the same location. And so, friends, what does this teach us? Well, it's that we need discernment, right? See, at first glance, wisdom and folly, they can look really, really similar. If not nearly identical. Folly can often appear like wisdom. We need discernment. For example... A really popular saying, a soundbite uh, today, is that we need to be true to ourselves. I'm sure you've heard of that. We need to be true to ourselves. Now, at first glance, that sounds really appealing. That sounds really wise. Being true sounds great. Being ourselves sounds great. So being true to ourselves, well, that should be really great. Very wise. It makes all the sense in the world. Until you stop and think for a sec. See, once you apply a little bit of discernment, what does that saying actually mean? And does it actually apply as it does? See, what about being true to ourselves at the expense of being untrue to others? 
Well, that doesn't sound too great. What if the other person who's trying to be true to themselves, what if they're you know, pretty gnarly, rude people? That's not great either. What about if there's a man who comes and robs you of your possessions and they say to you, well, I'm just trying to be true to myself. Well, that's just ridiculous now, isn't it? See, all of a sudden, that saying isn't all that wise. At first glance, it sounds very appealing, but after some discernment, it's really foolish and even selfish in many ways. See, friends, foolishness that you know, we take seriously, that we actually take seriously, is rarely obviously foolish. Right? It's rarely obviously foolish. The foolishness that we have uh, succumbed to or will succumb to won't be telling us, I'm really stupid, listen to me, so that I can destroy your life. Foolishness doesn't do that. It'll often look, it'll often smell like wisdom. And Proverbs 9 is showing us just why we need discernment, why we need to be wise. So that's why the choice between lady wisdom, lady folly, it can be difficult. But let's, on, let's move on to why it can be clear, why it can be clear. Now, it's clear because while at first glance they appear to be very, very similar, once we look closely, we'll notice some pretty big differences, some pretty, pretty big differences. There are at least two, right? They're different in their preparation, and then they're different in what they require. They're different in their preparation, and then they're different in what they require. Um, Firstly, let's examine the, the differences in their preparation. So how does Lady Wisdom invite the simple? What does she do? How does she prepare? Well, have a look. Verse 1 from chapter 9. What does she do? Wisdom, Lady Wisdom, she builds a house. And it's a glorious house. It has seven pillars. It's perfectly and solidly built. We're meant to picture like a massive mansion here. She's done that. She's built that. In verse 2, she's prepared her meat. Now in the ancient Near East, uh, where this text was originally written. Having meat was luxurious. This meal is no small afternoon tea. This, this is an extravagant feast. She's even mixed her wine. She's labored hard, right? It's one of those types of wine that blend different types into one unique blend. It's like a Shiraz and a Pinot Noir and a Merlot and all the spices and all the sweetness perfectly mixed into one batch perfectly for you. This is an extravagant feast for the purposes of celebration. She's even the one who's prepared and arranged the table for her guests to have this amazing meal. And in verse 3, she's made sure that everybody's heard about it. Her maids are sent to tell others. Even she calls out as well. This is the preparation that Lady Wisdom does. So how does, how does woman folly prepare? What does she do? Well, she doesn't do anything. In verse 14, rather than calling out, you see her sitting on a seat at the door of her house. We find it in verse 13, she too is simple, just like the people she's reaching to. And so in her like-mindedness, maybe perhaps her ignorance, she calls out to the simple. What food does woman folly offer? Well, nothing lavish, nothing expensive, no wine, just the pure basics. Water and some basic food. And she hasn't even prepared it, worst of all, she's just nicked it. She's stolen it. It's almost like she's scoffing at how busy lady wisdom has made herself. It's like woman folly is saying, I'm just going to steal some stuff and let's just have a great time with it. It's more fun to eat food that's stolen. It's more exciting to not do any work. It's more thrilling to not prepare anything. And that's her invitation. You can almost picture a, uh, a very terrible My Kitchen Rules back-to-back -back episode 
Right? You got the one night where the host of the instant restaurant prepares a stellar three-course meal, where each course hits the mark, where the instant restaurant is decorated amazingly, the ambience is, is well done, the judges give each dish a 10 out of 10. And then the very next night, at another instant restaurant, there's no effort put in. No decorations are done. It's literally some old garage that hasn't even been dusted, whose shelves are falling apart around them, and for food, she's stolen water from the vending machine and bread from the leftovers of Baker's Delight. That's the picture of woman wisdom, lady wisdom, and woman folly. The preparation could not be any different. But they're also different in what they require. Right? Very quickly, what are the differences in what they require? Um, lady wisdom wants us to join her and all her preparation. But she also asks us to leave our simple ways behind in verse 6. Other translations read that we are to abandon our simple ways. She asks us to change. You could, almost, you could describe it as repentance, really. It'll be hard work. It'll be difficult. It'll require effort. But Lady Wisdom is saying, look at the feast that I've prepared for you. Come and accept my invitation. See, friends, while it's clear and obvious what our choice should be between the two, if we're honest with ourselves, there's, a little, there's an appeal, isn't there, to what Woman Folly is offering? At least a little bit. Woman Folly is saying, stay simple. I'm simple. Don't change. Live, live off others. Be a little naughty. Live on the edge a little. Have a little fun. Don't pay. Whereas Lady Wisdom's, you know, requiring change and values and laboring and abandoning our ways, our simple ways. There's something appealing about what Woman Folly is offering. And so, Southwest, you are invited to choose. Will you choose Lady Wisdom or Woman Folly? That's a decision that is both difficult because of all the similarities that they share, but also really clear because of all the really big differences as well. So who are you going to choose? Well, before you decide, there's an important question that's still left to be asked. That is, who is behind the, the two women? Who do they represent? What's, re what's the reality behind this choice? Um, last year, uh, I uh, was walking through DFO in Homebush, and there was a little stall there in the middle, um, you know, with, with, with promo signs all over it, advertising um, free double passes to the Taronga Zoo. I was like, oh, that sounds pretty great. I was thinking particularly of um, Heidi, Carrie, and Azalea, because at that stage they were about to head overseas, and I thought it'd be cool for Azalea to head to the zoo. And so I thought, oh, that sounds great. What are the conditions of this deal? You know, free double pass, family pass to the zoo, double pass. Um, nothing's free, so what are the conditions? And, and so the sales rep told me, look, all you've got to do is you've got to visit our new CBD hotel showroom. It's, it's lovely, it's done really nice, just go for the tour, and at the end we'll give you the pass. I'm like, oh, that sounds simple enough. So I put my name down, put my mo uh, email down, and uh, I went. And went the next week. Now, what was the reality? Well, the reality was, yes, I went for a tour. Um, yes, everybody seemed really friendly. And then I was brought into a room uh, where there was a sales, another salesperson in front of me. And for the next four hours, the salesperson tried to sell me on, on, on signing a lifetime hotel membership with this group that's global and asking me for $50,000 to do it. And I just had to keep saying no and no and no. And eventually the salesperson swore, gave up and said, take your passes and go. And I said, fantastic, see you later. Right? 
But I kind of wish I knew what I was getting into. What was the reality behind that? They didn't say any of that in, in, in the little stall at DFO. What was the reality behind the choice? And a similar question needs to be asked. Behind woman wisdom, lady wisdom and woman folly, what's the reality behind them? Who do they represent? So on to point two, the reality behind the choice. Um, see, friends, the, um, to decide who you will choose, we need to figure out who they are. And the key to figuring out who they are is coming back to where they live, the location of their houses. So where do they dwell? If you remember, they dwell at the highest point of the city. Now, why is that significant? This isn't some poetic artistry here. This is significant because in the world of the original text, buildings on the highest point of cities in just about every culture was the temple. Was the temple. And this wasn't just for Israel. This was for every culture in the ancient Near East. Their gods dwelt in temples on mountains so that they could overlook the cities that they were meant to look after. And so Lady Wisdom, in other words, she represents God. She is a poetic personification of God's wisdom. She represents Him. Wisdom and God, throughout the book of Proverbs, really, they're, they're connected very deeply. Maybe in your community groups uh, this last week, you looked at Proverbs chapter 8, and you had some questions about the second half. Now, um, if you read that, um, you'll see that Lady Wisdom is intricately involved with God in the creation of the world. In verse 23 of chapter 8, she was formed long ago at the very beginning. In verse 27, she was there when he set the heavens in place. In verse 30, wisdom is constantly at God's side, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his world. See, friends, the point is before creation even came into being, wisdom was there with God, delighting in the beauty and the wise design of creation. Now, just quickly as an aside, we've got to be careful not to overread poetry and press for descriptions literally about God and of wisdom from poetry. Right? Maybe some questions popped up as you were discussing. But I think chapter 8 of Proverbs is really just echoing what it's already been said in chapter 3. Right? In chapter 3, verses 19 to 20, you can flick there if you'd like, but chapter 3, 19 to 20, Proverbs, uh, we read there that it is by wisdom that the Lord laid the earth's foundations. It's by understanding that he set the heavens in place. Right? Wisdom isn't just created by God. We must remember that the text here is poetry and is using poetic techniques to make important points about the nature of God's wisdom. See, people throughout history have made the mistake of being overly literal. And so they've made errors and conclusions that are super crazy and super wrong. Right? Conclusions like, you know, maybe God wasn't wise initially and so he had to create wisdom just so that he could create the world. That's nuts. That's ridiculous. It and, and because wisdom was made here, it seems like in chapter 8, maybe Jesus, who's the true wisdom, maybe he also was made. Maybe he wasn't God. And so all this is going into really wrong, really crazy, really heretical stuff. And so we've got to be careful not to be overly literal in our interpretation of poetry. But coming back to the second half of Proverbs chapter 8, Lady Wisdom poetically personifies God's wisdom and she represents God. And so if wisdom is part of the creation of the world, if wisdom was part of how the world came into being and was part of how it all works together, 
Shouldn't we, if we're, you know, wanting to work, figure out how the world works, how do we navigate our life in it and, and our place, desire to know Lady Wisdom? Shouldn't we desire to know God himself? Who better to, to ask how to act in the world than the one who brought it all to life? So if Lady Wisdom represents God, and we, I think we've established that now, who's, who's, who's woman folly? Because she's also on a high point, overlooking the city. So who's she? Well, I don't think she represents the true God, because we've just looked at that, but she represents other gods, other idols, false gods and goddesses that have tempted God's people away from him. For Israel, these were the gods of the other nations. For us, these are the gods, the idols, the things that aren't God, put in place of God, all around the world, surrounding us. Friends, the outcomes we heard read in chapter 9 about those who choose woman folly and those who choose lady wisdom, and suddenly they kind of make sense. See, what happens? What happens to those who choose woman folly? In verse 18, what happens to them? The dead are there. Her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. See, just like the Israelites turned to worship the gods of other nations and they ended up dying outside of God's favor, so too will those who worship idols and gods in this world rather than God himself. And the opposite then is also true, right? Those who worship Lady Wisdom in verse 6 leave their simple ways behind and live. They have life. And so in other words, the writer of Proverbs is saying that if you dine with Lady Wisdom, with God, you'll live. If you walk in the way of understanding, but if you dine with late woman folly, with idols and false gods, you're going to die. Her guests are in the depth of the grave. And so at the end of this nine-chapter introduction to the book, before we get into all the sayings that are going to be seen from chapters 10 through to the end, the writer of the Proverbs is saying a really, really important point, and then we can't move on to chapter 10 until we've got this. It's that even if you embrace every one of the sayings that's coming up, even if you agree with all of them, if you reject God, you are a fool. It doesn't matter how much of these wise sayings you embrace. You are a fool if you reject God. And so the book of the Proverbs makes it a bit of a no-brainer. Should we choose woman, lady wisdom? Should we choose woman folly? It makes it a no-brainer. It's literally the choice between life and death. Between the real God or false gods, it's the choice between wisdom and foolishness. It's a black and white picture of what we ought to do. There's a right answer there, and it's a pretty simple one to pick, at least in theory. But the reality of the matter isn't always so black and white, is it? The reality of our lives, even when we follow Jesus, isn't one where we are always just in the one house of Lady, lady Wisdom all the time. See, if we're honest with ourselves, we often run back and forth between those houses. We're, we're dabbling in folly. We're dabbling with idols. We're placing things that are probably, probably not obviously sinful, but are actually good in themselves. And we put them in the place of God. Whether it's desiring approval from someone or something other than God. It might be seeking affection from someone or something other than God. It might be seeking purpose from someone or something other than God. See, friends, what idols, what false gods, what foolishness are we most susceptible to? I took some of these examples from a book, um, and I'll just read them to you and see if any resonate to you. Right? A father wants his young child to honor and obey him so that when he grows up, he will not be hostile to those in authority. 
Right? That's good. That's something God commands. However, it leads the father to manipulate his son to get him to obey. The father gets very controlling, even exploding in anger when the child steps out of line. The father may even become depressed or discouraged at any failure in his son, or self-righteous, proud or condescending towards parents whose children are less obedient. Does that resonate? A young man longs for the day when he, might, when he will find a spouse and marry. He reasons that you know, this is something that God's created and a good thing to desire. And that's true. But he's given to extremes in his relationships with women. He becomes depressed and susceptible to sexual temptation when women ignore him. When he does attract a woman's interest, he destroys the relationship by smothering her with too much attention. Does that resonate? A woman is gifted and successful in a job. Last one. She recognizes work as a good thing that God has made. Which is true. In time, however, this woman finds herself increasingly anxious about whether she's doing everything she needs to at work. She starts taking work home, assumes too many responsibilities, and soon as trouble sleeping. See, friends, in each of these scenarios, people have taken something good. It might be obedient children, it might be marriage, it might be work, and they've built their lives around it. A false God has replaced the true God. Things that are good are put in the place of God. And we all, including your pastors and elders, do it. In some senses, that's the message of Proverbs chapter 9 from our first point today, isn't it? That while the choice is obvious, while it is clear, the choice is still incredibly difficult. Woman folly and idolatry can just seem so appealing. It can be just easier not to deal with. The rewards of foolishness can, you know, even at times seem objectively larger at times. The sacrifices that idols require often involve much less. The foolishness and idolatry, you know, they're actually satisfied to some degree too. And when they're good things given by God that aren't obviously sinful, idols can become really easy to justify too. Even masked in godly language. Now, that's not, any ex- that's not to excuse any of it, right? But that's just to highlight just how easily we can run back to the house of woman folly, despite following Jesus. So how do we deal with this? Where should we turn to? Well, I believe that Proverbs chapter 9 gives us an answer. And it's in the middle section that we will look at our, in our third and final point, the choice lived out, the choice lived out. Uh, in, from verses 7 to 12. So how, how do we deal with this? What, where should we turn to in our chasing and dabbling in idolatry? Well, verses 7 to 12 gives us two connected sources for answers. Uh, we turn to instruction and rebuke, and then we turn to the Lord. We turn to instruction, rebuke, and then to the Lord. Let's look at instruction and rebuke. See, as we struggle in the reality of dabbling from house to house in idolatry, verses 7 to 12 provide a great deal of comfort. Have a look at verses 8 to 9. Verses 8 to 9. Do not rebuke mockers, it reads, or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. These verses show us that we are not lost because of one meal with woman folly. But neither are we saved by having one meal with lady wisdom. 
We can't ruin our lives from just the one meal. But what these verses show us is that there is room for moving towards wisdom and there is room for moving towards folly. We can anticipate that it is possible to grow to be wiser just as it is possible to grow to be more and more foolish. Right? Wisdom and folly don't come from just one isolated decision. Wisdom and folly come from an extended time and pathways that either help us grow more wise or more foolish. And those are the pathways that we're on right now in life. And so one of the ways we can become more wise is through the instruction and rebuke of others. Right? Wise people, we're told, um, wise people that we're told in verse 8, according to the writer, love to be rebuked. They love being, they, they're taught to add to their wisdom and to their learning. Wise people love being rebuked. I don't think that's a, you know, you, you, you rebuke them and they suddenly give you a hug and say, I love you, I thank you so much for doing that. It's not that. But I imagine the wise person, those who are desiring to be wise, when they are given rebuke, when they are given instruction, they go away. They reflect on it. And even if the critique is coming from someone who isn't well-meaning, someone who is even plain insulting, the wise person learns to be appreciative that there still might be some truth to what was said. See, the wise person grows to love having rebuke in their life because it eventually helps them be more wise. And the wiser one gets in verse 12, that wisdom will reward you. And I take that to mean that it rewards you by going, the more, you, the more you are receiving instruction and rebuke, the more you are growing wise, the more instinctively you're going to be making wise decisions. The quicker and the more second nature making wise and right decisions are going to be to you. That's the reward. That's the pathway of the wise. They, they heed the, the, the instruction and rebuke. Well, what about the fools? What do they do? They have their own pathway. Right? See, in the book of Proverbs, there's this descending pathway for the fool. It begins with them being simple. They're naive, they're foolish. Then it regresses to them being unthinking or unlearning, those who speak and act without thinking. From there it goes one, down one further step to the arrogant, those who are prideful, those who won't take advice. And in the book of Proverbs, it, it goes one more final step to the mocker, those that are incapable of learning, who destroy relationships and break up brothers. They are the worst of fools. And we meet the mocker in Proverbs chapter 9. The strongest and most derogatory word for the fool in this book. See, those who are wise, they don't even bother speaking to the mocker. Because they just retaliate back each time. If they're corrected, insults fly. If they're rebuked, they hurl abuse back. They hate the rebuke and they suffer in their mockery in verse 12 alone. And so friends, there are some diagnostic, diagnostic questions that we've got to ask ourselves to determine whether we are the ones that are open to instruction and rebuke, or whether we're on the trajectory to wisdom. Friends, who corrects you? Seriously, who corrects you? Who corrects you on things that really matter to you? Because the rebukes that hurt most are always about the things that matter to you. Chances are they're the idols that we're dabbling with our lives. Do you have people like that in your life? Can you name them? 
Are you open to instruction and to rebuke? And just, in, just as importantly to ask, when was the last time that you actually changed as a result of being corrected and rebuked? Can you think of a time in the last year? Because if not, if you can't, especially regarding matters that, things that really matter to us, just be really, really careful that you aren't a fool according to the writer of the Proverbs. The wise one is both open to correction and knows they need it to continue to follow Jesus. The other source that we turn to in, in verses 7 to 12 is to the Lord. right? Instruction and, and, and rebuke and then to the Lord. See, at the heart of this chapter in, is, in, is verse 10. And that's the theme tune of Proverbs that we heard last week. That's being played again, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. See, how does the fear of the Lord help us as we try to detangle from the idols we put in place of God? See, friends, to fear the Lord, it's not to be scared of Him, but it's to be appropriately intimidated by His greatness. It's to be drawn to Him in wonder and awe. It is a reverence to Him that He alone deserves. But when we've got idols in our lives that we dabble in, that we run to, you know what that's really saying? It's saying at least two things. It's saying, one, that we are more intimidated and drawn to things in this world that don't compare to the glory and the power of our Creator and our Savior God. But it's also saying that God isn't actually all that intimidating, that He's not actually all that enticing when compared to the idols in our lives. And you know that that's just not true, is it? Don't mess with God. He is absolutely deserving of our reverence. His power and glory which ordered our world into being, orchestrated our salvation, who is presently sustaining us and our very next breath, appropriately deserves to be feared. He deserves to be revered. Don't mess with Him. It's this God we have a relationship with. See, businessmen, they worry about the verdict of shareholders. Politicians, they worry about the verdict of voters. Jesus' followers worry about the verdict of God. It's a reverent fear from a reverent love and affection of being in relationship with Him. And I once heard a testimony of a husband and a father who was in the army. And so it meant that he was gone for long stints at a time. And he was asked in this interview what, what he was doing about, how he was thinking about and dealing with the matters of purity. Right? And he, he was asked, what, what keeps you godly? What keeps you pure? And this man answered, well, not to distract myself, I do a ridiculous amount of exercise. Uh, but what helps most is I think, I think about my wife, I think about my kids, and I think of the disappointment they'd have with me if I did something I would regret. And then I think of God. And I think of His disappointment if He was there with me, which He is. I see more vividly the face of my family than God, but I don't want to let any of them down. I think that captures it pretty well. We don't want to disappoint a reverent God who loves and cares about how we live because He's been really generous to us, very generous to us. That's the invitation in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 5. Lady Wisdom is inviting us to eat her food to drink her wine. That's a generous offer. That's a gospel offer. God says, come and enjoy it without cost. Enjoy forgiveness with which you bring nothing. 
But listen, if you are simple, which you are, you need to change. Of course you'll need to repent. Of course you'll need to turn around. But do so and you'll live. See, God's been very kind in the banquet that he's offered. So friends, fear the Lord. Discern who you listen to and choose wisely. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we um, come to you uh, knowing that we don't always get it right. That we dabble in things that you've made for our good and we put them in your place. But Father, thank you that uh, you both want us uh, to live wisely and you give us the instructions and the ability to do so. And so, Father, we pray that by your Spirit that we would be acting to live wisely. And as we read the rest of the book of Proverbs and as we see these sayings that help us to live wisely and live in fear of you, we pray that we'd be really sensitive to where we might be falling short and where we might be succumbing to um, living contrary to how you want us to live. And so be with us, we pray, and we commit these things to you in Jesus' name.